you're listening to the Bearded Theologians podcast, hosted by Zach Bechtold and Matt Franks. If you'd like to learn more about the Bearded Theologians, you can go online at beardedtheologians.com, where we have past podcasts, blogs, and a couple items for sale. So check us out, beardedtheologians.com. Thank you for listening, and enjoy this week's show. You're listening to the Bearded Theologians podcast, hosted by Matt Franks and Zach Bechtold. And today we have a very special guest with us. We have the Reverend Dr. Amy Valdez Barker with us. Amy, thanks for being with us today. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Why don't you tell us uh, a little bit about yourself, who you are, what you do, and, and we'll just go from there. Yeah, so um, I am Amy Valdez Barker, as Zach said, and I work for Global Ministries um, of the United Methodist Church. The unit that I work for is called the Global Mission Connections Unit. Um, and we are responsible for the five regional offices around the world. We have an office in Buenos Aires, Argentina. We have an office in Seoul, Korea, um, with a satellite office in Manila, Philippines. Um, we have um, a, a staff member who's assigned to the Africa region, and so she's actually living in Liberia, but we have a team that works with Africa. And then we have an office uh, space in Europe, Eurasia, North Africa, and the Middle East. And then, of course, our office in Atlanta is where um, mostly we're headquartered. So, yeah. That's a, that's a, that's a lot of places. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, we are definitely all over the world. <laughs> yeah. And that's one of the beautiful things uh, and tough things about the Methodist Church, right, is that we are a global church. And, uh, but it's good to see this in action, right, and, and see that, oh, no, we are connected to these places and we're physically there. And um are doing really good work there especially in in the area of, of mission right yes and, and relationships so it's really our particular unit is responsible for the relationships that we have with the different partners throughout the world and what we do is we do our best to accompany partners and link them to missionaries to um, grants to resources that the united methodist church brings forward um, for mission and ministry so yeah, I'm. I I love our team. We've got an incredible team of um, hardworking people who uh, who are passionate about mission and ministry. So. so, in the midst of all of the work that you do uh, globally, right? Uh, you found time to write a book uh, called Trust by Design. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So, actually, um, in my previous role to coming to Global Ministries, I was the um, head of the connectional table which um, in many ways is like the church council of the denomination, uh, where all of the general agencies come together and um, all of the, um, the presidents of those agencies come and then representation from the jurisdictions, the central conferences. We are the body, or the connectional table is the body that is responsible for sort of overseeing the programmatic work of the, the, the denomination between general conferences. So um, I was the head of that previously, and that's when I wrote the book. Um, coming from a, a place where I had been on the call to action prior to going to the connectional table, I had seen that um, there was just a lot of um, challenges throughout our church, right? Like there were just so many things that were going on. We were, we were bemoaning the fact that we were declining as a denomination primarily in the US um, and in Europe. We were bemoaning the fact that, um, 
that some thought we didn't need so many agencies, others thought we, you know, we weren't giving our agencies enough credit. There was just so much division um, going on, and it feel it felt like there's these burning fires out there, and nobody's like looking at the source. <laughs> um, so when uh, when I got into this role, one of the things that ultimately kept popping up as sort of a, a, a virtue, a missing virtue, was trust, right? Like um, the agencies didn't trust leader, the bishops, the bishops didn't trust, you know, you know, I mean, there was just so much lack of trust that was happening throughout. Laity didn't trust clergy, clergy didn't trust laity, you know, um, annual conferences, local churches, just that consistent, and. Um, lack of trust within the church itself. And then as I was doing this sort of research, I was sitting here going, well, how come all of these platforms are rising and, um, and incredibly successful? And these are platforms built on trust, right? Like Airbnb, um, uh, um, Uber, Lyft, I mean, all of these are incredible platforms that, that are completely built upon trust on, of complete strangers, right? So I was like, wait a second, <laughs> what is going on here? Why is, the, um, why is it that trust is diminishing um, amongst um, the church, leaders in the church and people in the church, and yet, the general population and public are finding new and innovative ways to disrupt the whole systems by trusting these kinds of platforms. So I got really curious about what was going on and how do we, um, how does the business world have so much, um, so much information and research out there on trust? And here we, the church institution, have written or spoken very little about trust. So that's that was sort of the motivation of the book. And I was like, all right, <laughs> what can I, how can I take my, um, my love for research and really begin to unpack this um, for the church and try to speak truth and love as best as I could um, out there. So, so this, that's how this book was born, right? Like, What's going on, church? Why can't we trust each other? Well, and you have this line in, in your book where you say, does our trust in God translate to our trust in neighbor? Um, and so, I've, like, that's one of the ones I definitely, like, underline. And, you know, that's a good question for us to think about, um, especially in our world today, um, in light of what's happened even recently in our country. It's, um, yeah. you know, how much trust do we have in our neighbor and what does trust look like? I mean, that's you know, that's an even good question within itself because, you know, we, we're definitely, we definitely right. have trust issues. Uh, yeah. But we say that and then we get into a car at Uber or we'll go say someone's house for Airbnb. And like, we never yeah. think about, like, I remember the first time that I did an Airbnb, my wife was like, don't you think they're going to be an ax murderer or something? Like, no, they should be fully vetted. Like, it should be okay. Like, I'm not worried about it. Like, right. Everybody <laughs> loves Airbnbs. Why not, you know, I'm not give it a try. Um, yeah. And I think that that's a, you know, especially in our day and age, the, the whole idea of trust is, is a good conversation. To, to yeah. Have. It was really interesting kind of looking at that because there, um, there was a theory out there around the trust stack, right? So um, 
uh, like in the book, it, the Rachel Botsman um, had this concept of the trust stack where she helps you reflect a little bit on, okay, well, what are the fundamental elements that need to be in place for us to begin to build trust? So in principle, you have to kind of trust the idea, right? So you trust the idea around, okay, Airbnb, staying at somebody's house. On In principle, those, those people are, you know, they're opening up their house, so they're taking a risk. You know, they're taking a risk by inviting you in. Um, so you kind of trust the idea and the concept. And you're taking a risk by going into a place that you've never been before and trusting these people, right? So, and then there's also the trust in the platform or confidence in the platform. So now, you know, because they're on Airbnb and you've, you know, they've been vetted, Airbnb has this sort of um, baseline of you have to do this, this, and this in order to even be on our platform. You trust, you begin to trust the platform. And then um, what she says is that you use little bits of information to decide whether or not the person or the institution is trustworthy. So you start saying, okay, well, you know, this person on Airbnb has this many votes that were successful, right? And, and I've been to that neighborhood or I see, I see that neighborhood, so I'm gonna take that piece of information. And, you know, and so-and-so was also, you know, in that area, so I'm gonna take that piece of information so all of those pieces of information help you determine whether or not you would offer trust to that platform in that area I think the same sort of extends and that's the argument I make in the book is that God you know do we trust the idea of God and in principle you would probably likely trust a Christian maybe even a United Methodist I don't know <laughs> before you would trust right like um, some someone else, right, or an atheist, or so I think you take that as like you trust the idea of okay, I understand Christians to be like this, and then you kind of trust the platform, like okay, I trust that I've been um, part of a United Methodist family all my life, and so in principle, I'm going to trust that this church at least is a good entry point. To, to getting to know God, right? Getting to come into a relationship with God. And then you use those little bits and pieces of information to say, I'm gonna keep building this trust because the pastor is a really great preacher, <laughs> right? And the people here are really great and, you know, um, and nice and they're welcoming me. And my encounters and experiences here and other people I've heard have said, this is a great place to be. So you start to say, okay, this church is a trustworthy place where I can encounter God. And in that trustworthiness, my encounter with God becomes much more real and I can begin to take the, the small steps towards trusting God, right? If I'm very new to the faith. So, so it, it's really fascinating how you go from like trusting God and then beginning to trust neighbor mm -hmm. and beginnings to build upon some of the same principles, right? I trust my Christian neighbor more than I trust uh, other neighbor, right? Sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't. <laughs> right. Well, and, and, and I love that I, that's definitely something we, we face every day, right? Um, whether it's, it's people who are lifelong members of our church or our communities, uh, trust is, is huge. And when, when, when we have that trust and we've, we've stacked those principles up, right, it mm -hmm. works. Um, but it only, 
so often we see that it only takes one bad view. Uh, you know, bad bad gas travels fast, right? Yeah. And, and so we even see that in our, our communities and our neighborhoods that, well, you know, even you, you take church out of it and you hear something about so-and-so or you see something a little different and you think, mm, I don't know. Uh, but I, I love going all the way back to what you used to do or what, uh, what you do now in building relationships, right? Um, it takes so much more of that intentional relationship building, especially when there's mistrust or distrust, um, especially when it comes to the church, because regardless of denomination, regardless of what kind of church it is, um, if somebody's had a bad experience with God, um, it, it, that translate, it translates into every religious perspective. And well, I had a bad, bad, I just had a bad experience over here with God and I don't trust that. So even coming into your church, that is completely different. And, um, you know, I've never met these people or I've never heard this pastor that reflects back onto it. And so the work that we have to do in the church to building up that trust, not only with the, you know, not only with the physical church, but with God is so uh, great at times that it, and, and it's just, it's tough. It's tough yeah. work that we do building that trust. Exactly. And that's my point is that just um, if we do really trust God and that's everything that we're, we're built upon. I mean, that's who we are. That's our faith, right? right. Like everything that we do and everything that we're about is about this trust in God. And so if we really believe that, then yes, the world is going to stumble and fall and we're gonna, we're gonna find ourselves not trusting people and experiences and et cetera. But as people of faith, we have to constantly be coming back to trust, right? Like we've got to keep trying over and over and over again. And that's really what I say in our book, in this book is just constantly, I mean, look at the scriptures. How many times does God put trust in us, in humanity, and we fail? And yet, <laughs> God perseveres, right? And so I think that's story after story that is just a reminder of how we as Christians have to constantly be taking those risks of trust, um, even when it's the, the least safe thing to do. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Risk is a big, is a big deal, right? We weigh that, that risk, we reward benefit often, you know, in everything yeah. we do. Um, and what I, what I love to push up against risk is, is grace. Exactly what you talked about. How many times does God trust in us to pick something up and go and we fall flat on our faces and yet there's this grace that comes back in or is there and picks us up and calls us to go out again. Again. And, and to yeah. try again and to yeah. keep trying uh, day in and day out to be just a little bit better tomorrow or today than we were yesterday and then tomorrow yeah. and just and just keep going and keep trying uh, rather than just to say, mm, I tried, I failed. Yep. Uh, <laughs> let's move on. <laughs> I'm done. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm done. Yeah, which which seems to be maybe it's a cultural thing that that's just what we're facing today in our culture that, you know, we're kind of one and done people or, you know, somebody's tried that in the past and it didn't work. So we're not going to do it. Uh, or yeah. there's just not the trust there to go. Well, maybe, well, maybe yeah. we'll try this. And if we fail, fine, uh, we'll try something different. 
I don't, I don't know if it's that or the fear of failure or, you know, mm -hmm. what it is, but we just, we're bad at that as people. <laughs> yeah. I, I was at the Worship and Arts Fellowship um, a couple weeks ago, and um, the Bible study leader there brought this really interesting concept around the, the reality of um, an American ethos of the control culture, mm. right? Like we have this, this need for control. <laughs> and, um, and so if you can't control it, it's hard to trust it, right? Yeah. So, so if we've got this like need for control and that's the culture that is continuously perpetuated and there's anything that you really can't control, then it's hard to trust it, right? So I can control the decision I make on the Airbnb app mm -hmm. because I've put all these pieces together. But what if I have no control over that decision or those circumstances, or then it's really hard to, um, to take a leap of faith, to step out in, in, um, in these situations. Um, and I think our American ethos really is that ethos of control. Mm -hmm. So it's harder to sort of let go and trust, trust God if we've got such this ethos of control. Yeah. Know, it's something that's just kind of been permeating in my mind lately. So I'm like, hmm, how does this, how do we unpack this? Right. <laughs> no, we, we see that play out in the church quite a bit when, when the economy, when, when the economy's bad, if we have, um, you know, crash in the market or if, um, if people in our churches and our communities are having a rough go in their jobs um, and, and just the economy is down there or they're having, having struggles controlling other aspects of their life, how often do we see that come back into the church, into leadership boards, into just walking through the door and saying, I want it this way, right? That, that the church is often a place where people, when they don't have control here, and there's this unhealthy balance and relationship here with the church that, that, that we see people trying to control this part of it. Well, because I can do that. Right. Um, and yeah, no, there, there's definitely a, that need for control. And we find those avenues to do, do that. <laughs> and often well, you also say it's generational too. Cause no. like, I, think, oh, maybe. I think of like, so I think of people that were that came out of the, that were like living in the Great Depression. So it would be my age during the Great Depression. So in their like mid early twenties, mid you know that that eight, that mid thirties range that came out of that that are you know kind of in leadership today. You know now granted they're in their eighties, but they're in leadership in the church today. Getting them to buy into something, I think, is a lot harder because of that trust issue of they literally went without and now you look at the kids who are the um the 9-11 kids that were born you know post 9-11 and the trust issues that are coming with them trust of institution trust of yep. safety of what's norm you know trying um you know i i it'd be really interesting to see what generational trust like what each generational group what their trust level threshold is and 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 then the question is in our churches is with you know seven to eight generations in our churches some of them i mean not all churches have that luxury but some do um how do we uh work with those different areas of trust levels you know and what are they willing to do what they're not willing to do and you know and then then trying to get them to all play together and to accomplish yeah. one common goal you know how does that work uh, yeah, you know, and it, 
you know, I think it, it comes back to, um, all right, if we trust the idea, we trust the, the, trust the idea and the concept of our Christian faith, then we have to take those steps, no matter where our social location is or what our understanding is. But that's the whole concept of faith, right? You have to take these sort of leaps of trust in order to continuously rebuild those and build those relationships. So it, it's just fascinating to me to think it doesn't take a whole lot of trust to build a community, right? Like it's, it's those small bits and pieces of information that, that are like change in your pocket, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and the more change in your pocket you gain through being trustworthy, through, you know, showing your effectiveness in whatever it is that you've promised to do, showing your reliability and showing your care, those are the elements that, that people are like willing to sort of throw up their hands and say, okay, let's go do this. Let's take this leap of faith. Let, let's move forward because, you know, we're under the care of God, right? It is Christ who loves us. Um, and if Christ loves us and is holding us through this, then we should be able to at least take the small steps towards trusting one another and then trusting um, the greater communities when we are working together um, towards whatever mission that God has presented before us as a church, as a community. It's, it's hard, but you can get older people and younger people <laughs> to have the idea of love as the centering factor. And if we're loving one another, then this is the steps of trust that we can take to show us that love, right? Like I, um, in, I used to do youth ministry um, for a long time and I love my young people, but um, you would always ask the question or parents would always ask the question, well, how do youth spell, um, how, do, how do youth spell love? Mm. And it would be T-I-M-E, right? It's the amount of time that you spend with a young person that illustrates to them that you love them. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what we always tried to emphasize to parents. You know, the amount of time, quality time that you spend with your children is the greatest asset, the greatest gift, <laughs> the greatest commodity for, um, for them recognizing that they are under the safety and security of your love and that they trust that you really love them. So it's, you know, there are principles in the Christian faith and we as churches have as the foundation of who we are that constantly challenges people to extend that trust to everyone that we meet, no matter who they are and where they're at, um, for better or worse, <laughs> right? Yeah. And I think that's something good to, to think about and wrestle with um, as we kind of wrap this up. Um, it is, you know, how are we showing, like, how, are, what, what does love look like in our communities and how can we move And you used in your book, the idea of the beloved community. And, and I was like, you know, I was just reading this, like, maybe this is something as we begin in my church to begin the shift about thinking what are, as we move to more of a single board model, how, you know, like maybe that's something that we talk about as we start making that transition and what that may look like. And, um, you know, I think that that could be a good starting place is, you know, asking, you know, if you're wanting to build trust, that time factor is more important than anything else. And I think 
to me, that's where we, I think we've lost it in the church that we forget the invitation matters, like extending an invitation. Hey, I'd like for you to come to church like that. You need to make that invitation, mm-hmm. but you also need to show them like why and like why you want them there and like have a relationship to know that you really want them there and you're not just trying to satisfy a quota or something. And, um, you know, and building that trust with people um, is important in, you know, in, in our faith journeys. Yeah. Well, I, I, I think it goes back to, oh, go ahead, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I, and I think they see that too. I, yeah. I saw an incredible um, a cartoon on Facebook. I don't know if y'all saw this, but it was this uh, lady was introducing um, or inviting her neighbor to come and meet the new pastor, right? And she was like, hey, you know, come meet the new pastor. And he's like, why, why would I do that? And she's like, well, you know, it's a really great and welcoming church and blah, blah, blah. And then he basically says, well, I saw what you did to the last pastor. So why would I want to come be there? Right. <laughs> the right, community, right. right? Like they are watching us as a church mm-hmm. and how we treat one another. So why would they want to come and be part of us if we're not even ourselves treating our, you know, one another right. with the kind of grace and love that we want <laughs> to be extended to them, you know? Right. Well, I think in all of that, what a simple question of how do you spell love, right? Um, and, and when we, because everybody's going to spell it a little bit differently, whether it's generational, whether it's uh, experiential, you know, whether, you know, some people, yeah, it's going to be time. Some people, it's going to be food. Maybe it's missions, right? Whatever yeah. it is. I, I think building that trust is hearing those different ways people spell that word and then finding ways that we can tie it in together and, mm-hmm. and, you know, maybe that's, unfortunately, maybe that's some siloed areas, right? But how can we do that intergenerationally? How can we do that through our whole church so that they're all seeing and hearing and living into this vision of God's love, but mm-hmm. the various ways that get them there uh, and, and making it not all this one thing. Uh, you know, you have to do it through this one way. And we've got all of these other different ways that we, we spell love. We're doing them together in all of these different ways, which is hard to do. <laughs> it is. It is. Um, but I think that trust begins to build when, we, when we're able to hear that as pastors, as leaders, and going, oh, 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 time is important here with this group. This is important here with this group. And how do these begin to tie together so that they can go do them together? Yeah. Yeah, much more so. It's yeah. just the community. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Well, Amy, we, we thank you for your time because, um, we you know, time is valuable and uh, <laughs> for sharing that with us. Um, we want to encourage people to pick up the book Trust by Design, The Beautiful Behaviors of an Effective Church Culture. Um, you can find that um, pretty much anywhere that you can uh, buy a book online or wherever you buy books. Um, and we'll have a couple links through uh, Cokesbury and Amazon um, to uh, give a link to that book so people can pick it up. It's a great read. Um, would encourage you to maybe if you have a small group, this might be something good to sit down with a small group and do. And so, Amy, do you have anything else before we close it out today? No, I think um, don't stop trusting just because it's you've had broken trust. You know, I, I think as people of faith, it's our job to keep on trusting and first and foremost, trust God, because God is the one who walks with us every step of the way. So through Christ, we, we can do it all, right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Amen. Well, Amy, thank you for your time. And for yeah. the Bearded Theologians, I'm Matt Franks. I'm Zach Bechtold. 
Thanks for checking us out. We hope you've enjoyed the conversations that we've had today on the Bearded Theologians Beardcast, and we'd encourage you to continue those conversations online at beardedtheologians.com or on our Facebook page. We also hope that you pick up a couple of coffee mugs to uh, satisfy your coffee mug collection. Have a good day.